Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. This is England is Burning for Tuesday, September 7, 2021. It is the day after Labor Day in the U.S., and I am in a, a, the ATL in Georgia and so forth. It is a gray Tuesday morning, but hey, we're back. We're here. We're on the third of four shows this week. Today, this morning, I have... Rob Fratley from the CFCW Social to discuss uh, from his side of the Chelsea Arsenal match over the weekend, which was the sort of the highlight match, the build-up match of the entire weekend of the first WSL weekend of the season. Rob, welcome back to the program. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thank you again for having me back. Yeah, no problem, sir. And then those of you that are watching on YouTube, please smash a like on there. Please also subscribe and also share with your friends. It's very, very important for that weird algorithm that YouTube seems to have that, you know, just throws everything all over the wash. Uh, please, again, uh, the word of mouth that for this program really has been the thing that's really driven this. If you're listening to this on a podcast, it's available on all podcast platforms, including Apple. Again, give five star reviews so that people can actually find the program uh, and also share it with your friends all over your social media. So, Rob, going into Sunday, uh, it was the highlight match of the WSL weekend, the first weekend. It was held at the Emirates. Um, you know, uh, so that was, again, another highlight, or maybe, uh, depending on how you want to look at it. So what were your thoughts for, about the Chelsea squad going into this match, your thoughts about starting the season at Arsenal, at the Emirates, going forward? I mean, let, firstly, let's just say, yeah, for people who might be new, Arsenal are one of the top sides in WSL, and despite perhaps, you know, a, a perceived struggle in the last couple of years where they've fallen off a little bit, they brought in a new manager in the summer who's a very good um, tactician, perhaps isn't the most, I think, offensively-minded manager that Arsenal have had in charge in the past, um, if I'm sort of completely honest. And uh, he's sort of, you know, he's very much a sort of more tactical sort of approach compared to Joe Montemuro, who I think was more of a um, more of a sort of manager in the sort of a personnel sense, more of a case of let the players go out and play and less of a sort of tactical impetus. They also brought in some good signings in the summer. They brought in Nikita Paris uh, back to England from Lyon, who, although struggling a little bit in Lyon, has a very good record in WSL. They brought in Frieda Marnham, who's an excellent sort of young player. They bolstered the squad well. Um, and I sort of said this uh, last week that I thought they made some really decent acquisitions. Um, and going into the game, I think probably I, I expected a similar situation to what ends up happening in the game because Arsenal ultimately about three weeks ahead of Chelsea in terms of match fitness and match sharpness. Um, and I think, you know, that was the main thing really for me that showed. What I will say is that from a, again, we'll cover it in more detail, but in a way I wasn't unhappy at the the result was perfect, but I wasn't really unhappy at it because if you look at Arsenal being three weeks ahead and Chelsea being significantly less sharp and also I think it would be fair to say fielding a weaker team because of the number of their big players that were missing. Um, when they actually got them all on the pitch, Arsenal were clinging on at the end and I appreciate that's partly because they had the lead and obviously didn't want to mm -hmm. sort of drop it, but also just because it felt like Chelsea were you know, just able to go up that gear a little bit and if that's what they're like with players, you know, still at half fitness, then you can only imagine it bodes well for the rest of the season. Certainly. And, uh, and I, I had heard though, a lot of interesting, you know, comments about, you know, the, 
kind of the what what I would call a PR fiasco nightmare that Arsenal had in terms yeah. of hosting the, that that match. But I really don't want to get into that. Actually, I want to get into more of that with uh, okay. you know when I do the Arsenal uh, show more specifically. Um, but yeah, I mean you know one of the things I spoke about you know in the preview shows uh, you know with uh, with Josh and I talked about Arsenal specifically and talked with the other folks, including yourself, Rob, was that you know I think Arsenal had an extremely good window, and then at the end at the end of the window. Right at the end, right before the weekend, they also signed Tobin Heath uh, just to yeah. add to the mix. Um, and so forth, she was not available for this match. I but mean, I'll, it, I'll be honest, in, in terms of the Tobin Heath acquisition, I'm not mm-hmm. reading too much into that as I think probably that's more of a, I would say, a political um, acquisition. Someone who's made it clear she's an Arsenal fan. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, it will likely be a situation a bit like Alex Morgan. You may see her a couple of times, but yeah. I don't think you will see her significantly. And the fact they didn't you know, release the contract details suggests to me that when NWSL starts up again, there will be an expansion side or someone that will be coming in and sort of, you know, taking her away. And that's not me, you know, belittling the signing. I think Toby Heath is a wonderful, fantastic player, but it does just feel a bit like a political um, yeah. sort of acquisition, for want of a better word. I, I would agree. Without getting too much into it, I, 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 with the rumblings that I heard over here in the U.S. regarding the regarding the signing and the NWSL, and also the 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 USWNT camps that are that are going to be taking place, and all of that, it just everything spoke to me. And I think the best word is your word. Using it is quote political. But going back to the main point is that you know Arsenal, in my opinion, had a really really good window in terms of the players that they acquire. They have a new manager. All of the stuff you know. Moving forward so i really really was rating arsenal quite highly going into the match and also the key also is that i mean arsenal uh, as you just mentioned arsenal had played you know qualifying matches for the champions league uh while chelsea was doing was in preseason you know not a knock yeah. on either one it's just that's the reality of the situation yeah, exactly. going in. i want to i want to make it clear i'm not suggesting that's any you know any excuse for what, sort of my opinions of facets on the performance it's just a natural sort of fact and you see it in the um You've seen it in the men's game with some of the players that have returned back late from the Euro. Some of the Italian players have struggled to get going again at the beginning of this season, um, particularly those at Juventus because of uh, sort of you know the fact that they've had congested summers. And some of the Spanish players who were at the Olympics that have come back. I mean, again, I think Barcelona have announced they've given Pedri extra rest because they're so concerned about how much he's playing at his age. Um, and this was, you know, ultimately always going to be unavoidable. The thing I do worry more for is when. We have the situation sort of inevitably in the next couple of years when more and more competitions start getting more and more bloated. And we're already seeing that with the UWCL in the right. attempt to pair it up to mm-hmm. the Champions League. And that's when I think, you know, you're going to start increasingly seeing teams having bigger squads. Because I, I found it interesting that che- last year people, you know, lambasted Chelsea for having a big squad and said, you know, why have they got all these players XYZ isn't playing? Yeah, this year Arsenal have done the exact same thing, and the solution it seems to be look at how well they've recruited, look at how many you know players they've brought in. When even with the players they lost in the summer, they hardly had a weak squad. Um, and I think you know to a lesser extent, you've also seen this with Manchester City in the window where they've brought in more players than they've let go, and they brought in more first team players. And I think ultimately this is just people now realizing the reason why Chelsea did it is the reason why Leon do it, and the reason why Wolfsburg do it is that you need to be at a point where you can effectively feel two quality 11s in the same week or you know maybe if the goalkeeper is the same you need to be able to field 21 really good players in your squad or maybe sort of near at sort of 18 19 
um, if you've got players that can play twice a week. Absolutely. I mean, and I've made comments about that where it's like in order to compete with the multiple competitions that are taking place in England with the league, with the qualifying Brenner Champions League, the Champions League itself, the Conti Cup, the FA Cup and so forth, all of these competitions in order to be successful, you know, throughout the season, you have to have essentially a, you know, an A squad and an A point two point one squad, you know, um, you know, and 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 the difference right now, I think, between the top three sides, between Arsenal, City, and Chelsea, and everybody else, is the depth of all three. But yes, you're right. Chelsea got a lot of criticism and a lot of flack, and and so forth for having such a deep squad. But there is a legitimate, rational, insightful reason, and that's one of the reasons why Chelsea's business is so good, is because they kind of see the writing on the wall and then make adjustments and make mm. changes as needed, uh, and they may do it a little bit ahead of everybody else. Um, and, and so forth, but there's an absolute reason they saw the writing on the wall and that sort of proactive approach, you know, uh, is rather important, but let's get back to the match, uh, in yep. play here. So I'd heard, you know, when I was listening to some preview shows, uh, podcasts and so forth about Chelsea going into the, going into the season, one of the couple of comments that I had heard was about in preseason, Emma Hayes kind of playing around with a three, four, three. Uh, yeah. formation which is change so and so sure enough in the first match of the season uh emma comes out with a 3-4-3 formation rob can you kind of shed light on sort of the evolution of that i can see the idea behind mm-hmm. using the 3-4-3 i think the lineup the other day was the wrong lineup for the 3-4-3 but i could see where it could work really really well for chelsea um and I think it requires a sort of quite a different way almost taking a four, a three for three. I almost think they'd be better off. And this is where you do then have issues of the exploitation down the wings is almost using a diamond in the midfield. And I've said this to a few people is that I think if they had a diamond with Ingle at the base of it. And I think, you know, I said to a couple of people, Sophie Ingle was the biggest miss for Chelsea the other day, not Frank Kirby or Sam Kirby, it was Sophie Ingle. Um, and you know, I'll come on to reasons why. But if you had her at the base of it, and then maybe uh, Cuthbert and Fleming, I think, in front of it, who are both really dynamic, really energetic midfielders, can go box to box. And then you put Panilla Harder at the top of that situation, you get so much more out of Panilla Harder. And Chelsea noticed this in the second half because they changed formation in the second half and they went back to their more traditional, I suppose, probably you'd say a three, a four, three, three, maybe going to a four one sort of two three depending on how offensive you wanted to describe it um but i think you know they get they that's the big thing for me this season is getting more out of Penella harder because of how good a player she is and i think although she had a good season last year and it was a good season by her standards it was a poor season and that just a tells you the level that Penella harder's at and b also i think tells you the you know the fact that chelsea didn't suffer for that reason shows you the level chelsea are at I mean, talking about the match, I thought for the first 10 minutes, I thought it was, um, you know, pretty standard fare. They were both feeling each other out. You could see what Chelsea were trying to do with the 3-4-3 of exploiting the wing-back areas for Arsenal because they were pushing wing-backs sort of forward. And I did notice very quickly, Idaval stopped doing that um, and did, you know, played quite a defensive wing-back sort of um, or full-back system for the rest of the half and sort of shut down that area. And that's good credit to him. That's, you know, a good tactical decision. But, I mean, sort of the first the first goal was a great ball by McCabe, but 
if Sophie Ingle is there, I will tell you for a fact that would have been cut out. And that was the issue I think Chelsea suffered in the first half because of the 3-4-3, is they had players in the wing-back role who weren't necessarily very offensive wing-back options and not really the defensive cover and solidity they needed. Uh, then you got the situation with Miedemar one-on-one with Jess Carter. Carter needed to just stand her up. And like as soon as she started backtracking and Miedemar, it the best thing she could have done if she was unsure was take Miedemar out when she was one-on-one for about 25 yards away from goal, give them a chance to put a set piece in. I would be confident with the height and ability that Chelsea have at the back to not concede from set pieces. Um, and, you know, ultimately that was that bared fruit of the weekend. But I would be confident in the ability to defend set pieces, take the foul and commit it there. As soon as she got her into the box and was turning her, I, I personally think, you know, I said last season, I, I'm not sure what Carter's real role is in Chelsea's side. And I think she did okay towards the end of the season. But I think that's one of the positions that Emma did allude to it in her sort of post-match interview that the wing-backs and stuff and full-backs were where she looked to improve, but they couldn't get the right names in. Um, and I also thought, to be honest, AKB should have done better. I think it's the sort of one where early in the season, perhaps goalkeepers aren't fully warmed up. They, you know, do concede one or two goals like that. And they should have been, you know, three or four months down the line. I think she probably gets down to that because it wasn't, let's be honest, it wasn't a brilliant strike from Miedemeyer. It was well-placed, but it wasn't exactly, you know, arrowed into the corner. It sort of just trundled into the net more than anything. Um and I think, you know, as soon as that happened, it made it difficult for Chelsea because it sort of put the game plan out the window. I think the plan was to try and score first and try and draw Arsenal out. And the problem is, as soon as Arsenal took the lead, they were happy to then sit back and let Chelsea control possession. Um, and that was, I think that's partly due to Idaval, as I said, a more defensive tactic compared to Joe Montemura, who was very much out and sort of pushing on the press. Whereas in this case, Arsenal were keen to press in, say, the final in their defensive third and keen to sort of put pressure on then. But as it sort of, you know, when Chelsea had it around, the defensive positions were stroking it about. They weren't really committing anyone. I mean, sometimes Miedemeyer was going out and looking for sort of, you know, the options for the mistake. And Mead, who, you know, continues to be Chelsea's sort of chief tormentor, was occupying the space really well. But they weren't really trying to deploy anything like a game press or anything like that. Um, Chelsea obviously improved towards the end of the first half. And, you know, I thought they were really unlucky, firstly, um, through G's initial effort to not, draw level um, because I thought it was terrific, you know, terrific save, fair play, take the hat off. And then from the resultant corner, there, there should have been a penalty as McCabe, you know, when you see the replays of it, just completely pulls down Penilla Harder in the box. Um, but ball rebounded, I think, to Millie Bright. Bright put it sort of cross shot in. Leopold's good composure to play it on. And then Cuthbert sort of fired it in. And at that point, you were sort of looking at it. And I didn't think Chelsea had played particularly well, but I also didn't think Arsenal played Brilliantly, I was a bit surprised by hearing all the pundits saying, you know, Arsenal have had a fantastic first half because um, I thought they did okay, if not spectacular. I think it was more the thing for me, sort of more, was how poor Chelsea were, especially in the transition. Um, but that may just be me looking at it from a biased eyes, really. Yeah, I, 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 my thoughts when I was watching the, at least the first half was, you know, the goals and going into the second half were my, my thoughts were is was particularly around the Miedema goal was like, well, is this more Miedema's brilliance or, you know, just Charles's inability to inability to defend in that situation. But I think uh, I, you know, and, but I, it seemed to me that there were just moments of, you know, there were moments of individual, yeah. you know, brilliance, uh, the, you know, that led to where Arsenal was sitting, not necessarily playing the best you know, I, I, match. I would, couple, team, that. I would but... couple that not only with individual brilliance, but also with individual mistakes. Because I, I sure. don't think it was okay. something that, 
you know, looking at me from a Chelsea perspective, if we can see the goal where it's like um, sort of take Barcelona's fourth goal against us in the Champions League, where it was just terrific passing, inch, inch passing, and then a terrific ball through, and Hansen went through and put it in. Like, at the end of the day, if you concede a goal like that, I'm not too unhappy um, conceding goals like that because they aren't, you know, you'd have to put your hand up and say, fair play, it was, you know, just a brilliant goal. And this is also why for the second Arsenal goal, I was, you know, more pleased to, not pleased to concede it, but more happy to concede a goal like that because it was one where it was harder to see what could have been, you know, done better. Um, But yeah, that that first goal I thought was just a poor, I thought it was poor individual mistakes. Again, first from Charles, Mm -hmm. not tracking the initial sort of pass around Mm -hmm. the corner, then Carter not committing the foul on Miedemeyer when she should have. Um, or should have, and then also AKB not getting down quick enough to save. And then you're dealing with one of the best goal scorers in the world. Yeah, exactly. At the same that. time, yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly that. I mean, it's one of those where, like, you know, if if you'd have talked to me about what I thought Miedema was probably going to do, and this is why I think you know you do have to give some credit to the finish. I thought she was going to try and bend it around the defender across goal because right. I think that would have been much harder for AKB to save. And I think, in a way, she got caught out by the near post shot because she too was expecting mm-hmm. that strike across. Now, I may be doing her a bit of a disservice again. I'm not part of the goalkeepers' union. She may have been unsighted, and I know how difficult it is mm-hmm. from a sort of keeper's perspective, um, especially when you know when you watch it in real time. The ball always seems to be travelling slower than it actually is. Right, um, right. And yeah. then having a situation where you had Mitoma one on one with Charles, and then you're you're now left with Charles on the ground, uh, and you're essentially one on one with Mitoma, you're gonna have to guess one way or the other. And you just go by exactly, you just yeah. have to go by, you know, muscle memory and tendencies. Exactly, uh, yeah. you know, in that type of situation. So um but yeah, I mean, the thing. My first thought when I first saw that goal was sort of like that height. You know, it's like, oh no, here we go with the with the you know a defensive lapse uh, on the you know on the wing. Um, you know, we've seen this before. This pl- this um, play out. Um, and so you saw that, and then I, you know, I was like, but then I was like, well, yeah, but then you're dealing with Miedema. But that, but this is what's going to happen. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. with when in the Champions League final, it was against one of the best best wingers in the world there too. Um, so why I, I said it to someone, I, I think this year needs to be for Chelsea needs to be a bit like the year Barcelona had in between their final against Lyon and their final against Chelsea, mm-hmm. a year to consolidate to work mm-hmm. out where the issues are in the squad move on one or two players and get the right players in, whether it's on pre-contract or for next summer's recruitment, so that next year you can absolutely, absolutely smash it. So not- this, bring, this brings up, this brings up though, Rob, a big question that, that, that I, I've heard asked multiple times now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I want to get your opinion then. So when it comes to looking at the season itself, you know, the question was, was, well, is Emma Hayes going to concentrate on trying to win the Champions League this year and then let some of the other competitions, you know, uh, kind of not give them up necessarily because that's not what she's going to do, but put more emphasis, more importance on winning the Champions League this year in lieu of maybe playing lesser lineups or rotating in the other competitions. I see. I, I don't know with this because I've said this to a couple of people. Is that ultimately, uh, ultimately, I've heard all sorts of you know people coming out with, and not just on here, you know, coming out with these sweeping statements about Emma Hayes and oh she hasn't right. learned right. and stuff. And 
in a way, I kind of think it's a bit insulting because this is a manager and a team that have lost three times in 24 months. One of who, uh, one of the losses, okay, one of them was being completely outclassed, but being outclassed by another world-class team. The other one was losing to a game against Brighton where, you know, it was one of those where the ball just wouldn't go in the net a second time. And every other time Chelsea play that, they win three or four nil. And then, That's football. Yeah, That's exactly, football. exactly. And in this case of this result, if there'd been, you know, competent refereeing and a competent lines person and or VAR, Chelsea, nowhere near at their best on the day, take a point in a game that, you know, Arsenal would have felt, you know, would have looked at and said, that's the game we need to win. And I've said this to a couple of people this year. I think WSL, because it's more competitive this year, I think you won't see teams going, you know, unbeaten. You won't see huge long unbeaten streaks because I think you will see, you know, a few games and then it'll be ended by someone because it's a more competitive league. And I don't think you'll see teams running away with it like you have in the past because it's the more competitive league. So I think, you know, people looking at it and saying, oh, you know, Chelsea have lost on the opening day. Ultimately, I think towards the end of the season, you won't look at that result and say, yeah, that's when, you know, the title was won or lost. It'll be if, you know, there's a couple of losses in a row or sort of, you know, a string of draws or something. Is when yeah. they lose it, not because they lost on the opening day. Yeah, I was joking around all weekend because I didn't want this week to turn into overreaction week where people were overreacting to Chelsea losing or Arsenal winning or United winning 2-0. Uh, I mean, that it's very easy to be like, you know, to overreact to those things. But I think in the context of it, you know, when you look at the lineup that Chelsea put out to start the match, you look at who was on the bench to start the match. You look yeah. at, uh, you know, a three, four, three formation, which is relatively new. You look at Arsenal having, you know, real games that they had to play before this match. Uh, you look at a, you know, and we'll, I want to go into more detail, but you have a poor lines person decision, uh, you know, you know, all of those things, you put that in the context and this game probably should have ended in a draw or it could have been a Chelsea win either way. But given that we have the entire rest of the season uh, to play out with a much better competition up and down, you know, this I'm not saying that this game doesn't matter. It matters, but it may not, it just certainly doesn't matter as much as, you know, uh, it it will be uh, as it seems to matter now. It doesn't matter that much. It's not way up here. It's not an 11 out of 10. It's maybe a six or seven out of 10 type of situation. But let's go to that. Um, let's go to that that uh, sort of controversial goal. That yeah. was. Can we also talk about the, the second goal first? I think it's sure, go ahead. It's important to acknowledge the second goal is that ultimately, you know, I, again, I do think that Sophie Ingle in there probably stops the pass happening and stops the transition. Because, and this was where Chelsea, I think, lack what Arsenal had on the day. And Leah Walty, every time Chelsea had a chance to counter or break, there was a niggly little foul or a pullback. And I, I did think the referee was poor in picking up on these. Because, to me, as soon as you block a break or stop a break, it should be an automatic yellow card, no questions asked. Because you're just disrupting the play. You're not trying to play the ball. If it's a poor challenge and you don't win the ball, it's a bit of a, you know, is it a yellow, is it a red, is it a foul? I think there's a debate to be had. But when you just disrupt the play like that, that's, you know, a written rule that it is a yellow. Now, I did notice the referee started having a talk, and it always worries me when the referee, sort of, the first thing you do is have a talk, because it's basically saying to the player, you can do it again. And mm-hmm. I, I would rather a strict referee come out and sort of stop it happening immediately, so the player's got to work it around it. And this is where the best defence, you know, Walty's a very good defence midfielder. She knows her sort of way around this, and I think 
also Rebecca Welch was, um, you know, swayed a little bit by the crowd and the fact that there was quite a partisan crowd. A lot of the decisions went against Chelsea on the day and there were a lot of, you know, situations that 50-50s that could have gone either way that did seem to go to the home side. But again, it's important to suggest that I'm not saying the referee, you know, was the reason why Chelsea lost. That's not fair. The referee wasn't the issue. Um, but the second goal, as I said, Ingle, you know, Miedemar turns. This is why Miedemar is a very good player. She isn't just a goal scorer. She can create as well. Slips mm-hmm. the ball through. And when the ball was actually slipped through for me, I actually thought Chelsea defended it quite well because they weren't goal side initially, but they did manage to get back on goal side and actually stand her up. Now, if there was one thing they could have done a bit better, is get that bit closer. Because as soon as she stands them up, there was only ever one place she was able to shoot. And it's one of those things. When Beth, Beth Mead plays against Chelsea, she seems to sort of turn into some sort of superhuman sort of, you know, the female equivalent of Lionel Messi. And I've said before, I'm more scared of facing Beth Mead for Arsenal than I am for Vivian Meadmark. Because Mead just has that ability against Chelsea and that little knack of just being one of those players that just seems to always save her goals. And, you know, she might not even score for another sort of six or seven game weeks, but if she plays Chelsea in a cup, guarantee she will be on the score sheet again. Um, just the inability to defend against it. And I think it was telling that that happened right after Wrighton sort of hit the bar with the sort of cross-come shot that was tipped onto the bar. Because I think if that had gone in, I think Arsenal heads might have gone down because it came so quickly after half-time. And instead, I think you saw Chelsea's heads go down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, contributed to the third goal. Um, now, with the third goal, I will just come out flat and say it, it was offside. It, you know, yeah. offside, it wasn't a hard decision for the lines to make. The lines were if they're inside, or lines were if they're inside with the game, in line with the game, you can clearly see she's offside. You can see where Millie Bright is. And as soon as that went through, I thought it was quite telling that Mead actually stops for a split second because I think she expects the flag to go up and to go offside. Obviously, it doesn't. You know, she's one-on-one. Once you're one-on-one, rounds the goalkeeper and puts it in. And I think, in a way, this is almost the best argument for having technology in the women's game is for offsides. Because, and also for goal line decision systems, because there are an awful lot of goals you'll see, all, and you saw one on um, Friday with the Reading game, where the ball looked like it across the line, and then Manchester United go up the other end and make it 2 0, and suddenly it's game over. Um, when in reality, it should have been 1 1 in a different match. Same as in this match. If it suddenly, you know, if it stays at 2 1 and Chelsea, you know, they're big guns, because after they brought them on, they did dominate the game categorically um, and were the much better side, does the result sort of change? And I've said to someone, I, I fear, and this is what happened in the men's game, I fear it's going to take a really big match, like I'm talking a cup final or something, mm-hmm. where a goal is given, a decisive goal is given that would have been prevented by technology or could have been presented by technology, i.e. the ball didn't cross the line or whatever, and the goal is given and that team end up winning it. And it's going to take a decision like that for the FA to shift. Because I've heard all sorts of excuses and things of saying, oh, you know, we have We've got to figure out what different clubs are operating on. I I appreciate that argument, but with the new TV deal that's been signed and the FA's commitment to, you know, pushing WSL, I refuse to find it, you know, I refuse to think they can't find the money to implement it. I think they said it was, what, about three million to, imp- or about half a million to implement goal line technology across the league. Mm-hmm. I refuse to believe they can't find that money from, you know, a £500 million TV deal. Right, um, right. So, yeah, I, I, I thought it was a poor, you know, poor refereeing and ultimately a more poor work from the lines person. And ultimately, I think at that point, it doomed. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it really seemed to, it really did seem to kind of, uh, you know, doom the game for Chelsea. Uh, I, I joked, uh, you know, I joked online with people that if I could see that it was offsides, then it was offsides because, you know, I'm just an American in the South, just sitting at home. Yeah. Uh, so uh, with that being said, but a lot of my American friends, you know, a lot of the American friends that I have here that were, watch- that were watching the game too, um, were like, well, why doesn't the WSL have, goal line technology and and var and things like that and you know that's probably a more complicated answer than we can yeah. even go for it here but you know that was one of the questions that was brought up and because it was it was yeah. like yeah it's clearly off sides but it still counted anyways yeah it was, it's very difficult i mean i had this discussion with a couple of people and you know ultimately i don't want to sound like i'm a bitter sort of you know person for this situation obviously because it's a case that benefits me I've been a big proponent of goal line technology, certainly in the game for a long, long time, because I think, and this is why I perhaps prefer it to VAR, is that goal line technology is absolute. There's no question whether a ball does or doesn't cross the line. It doesn't require a referee to make a decision. It requires a sensor in the ball and, you know, a piece of very simple physics. Uh-huh. Uh, there are very, 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 very rare occasions where goal line technology goes wrong. But the mm-hmm. fact since it's been in the Premier League and implemented, I can think of one occasion out of about, I don't know, 200 odd match days that it, I know it's gone wrong. And that was due mm-hmm. to the referee themselves setting it up wrong. So it's an issue mm-hmm. with the referees. Right. Um, and I also think that with Golden Technology of VAR, if used properly, it also highlights the other issue at the bottom of all of this, which is um, inadequate training and development for referees. Mm-hmm. Because absolutely, absolutely done enough, and I feel in a in a way I do feel sorry for referees because I think refereeing is an impossible job on a football match, especially in a big, you know, match like a derby match. And some of the referees that look at Rebecca Welch is not one of these these you know examples, but there are some referees in WSL you look at and you do just feel they need more experience further down the league, but they're just getting fast tracked through, and because they're just getting fast tracked through the leagues, you're having issues then when they come to big games and they're not, you know, prepared to deal with a big game. Absolutely. And, and yeah, and it's a, it's a complicated uh, thing. And then, you know, the, there, there are camps out there that don't want any technology at all that, you know, they see how technology is being played out in the men's side and they're like, well, I wouldn't want that, uh, you know, uh, that's been a mess over there. So why would we put it in the women's game also? But uh, there is that camp. But I, I think that's a, a smaller camp, I would say, um, mm. because that you, because people I think are, are thinking like, we don't want it, the situation that you just mentioned that, you know, we would be afraid of happening is, is let's say we have a bigger match, uh, and they don't have the technology. And so there's a call that's missed and, and so forth. And it leads to somebody winning when they shouldn't really won, uh, you know, if the technology was in place. So that's the biggest fear overall, but, um, it does need to be sorted out, particularly uh, I totally agree with you about it needs to be started out with the fact of the matter of having the TV deal in place and trying to get a higher level of leg- legitimacy, uh, you know, to the, the league overall. Yeah. It, it's all of those things combined and so forth. So just looking at some stats of this match, you know, there, there's not a whole lot that really stands out. Um, you know, I, you know, I, you got to love the folks at fbref.com. That's where I get a lot of these statistics, y'all. And they, so you go to the ma- this particular match and they say that the XG for both sides, that Arsenal is 1.13294877. Come on. 
Come on, people. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then Chelsea's was 1.077835114. Who cares? Uh, it's 1.1 and 1.1. That's basically it. Let's rat, let's do some rounding. Let's just do that. Cool. Um, the other thing is, is you're, uh, you, you, you mentioned this earlier was that, you know, there were moments where, you know, uh, Arsenal was just fine letting, because they had the lead, just fine letting Chelsea have the ball. Uh, and yeah. so Chelsea dominated possession 59% to 41, uh, had the most touches, had the most crosses, had the most corners, uh, committed them and also committed the most fouls. Um, and Arsenal was forced to commit the most clearances. So, uh, Rob, who was your player of the match for Chelsea? Um, I think from Chelsea, the, I thought that Erin Cuthbert had a really, really good game. Um, I, thought I was she, about to mention her name. <laughs> again, I thought she did really well. Obviously took her goal well, got a very good assist for the second, but generally I think did very well in what's an unfamiliar position. And I think against, uh, you know, worse side or worse sides than Arsenal, I think it can be a really, really potent threat, the 3-4-3. Three, three. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, against the teams that, and this is where I think Emma is perhaps looking at it, was, I don't necessarily think Arsenal was the right game to test it in, but I think it was to have that extra bit of, you know, attacking impetus and sort of to be able to attack these teams into submission with the sort of 3-4-3 formation in order to then, once you've got the lead and got, you know, a couple of goals ahead, being able to rest a bit more. Because I think that's about what perhaps Chelsea last year at times struggled with, um, was resting on their laurels. And I think Emma's maybe done the 3-4-3 to be a bit more pragmatic so that when you get the lead... You can effectively switch it almost a bit of a five, sort of two, three, or five, three, two, whatever. Yeah, you want. It so, does appear that way. From a technical perspective, it's easy then then with that type of setup to go into, you know, go into a, I wouldn't say, I say this loosely, quote unquote, a shell. Uh, but that's kind of what a five-three-two is, um, you know, when it comes down to it from a defensive standpoint. But the 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 stats on I love the stats on uh, Cuthbert in this match because um, she because I always look at this is like so she had the goal, she had an assist, she was fouled three times, uh, had and then won three tackles. <laughs> Mm. Uh, also, so all around in an unfamiliar and This position. is also, I think, why I think Cuthbert would do really well in that midfield diamond. Because I right. think her and Fleming between them will have that ability. I think that's what Chelsea need to... That, that for me, is the big question, I think, this season for Chelsea, is getting more out of Fleming and Harder. Because I think if they can get more mm-hmm. out of Jesse Fleming and Penilla Harder, Harder, I think, you know, you have that world-class midfielder that can score, or world-class midfielder number 10 that can score you, you know, 20-plus goals... And Fleming, I think, you know, can get seven or eight plus goals, but could dominate that midfield area. And I think at times, Chelsea last year, when they had Ingle, Leopold and G, I think it's a really nice, easy on the eye midfield. And I do think Mm -hmm. G is an excellent player. But I do think at times it lacks that little bit of that extra dynamism in terms of shooting or that little bit of extra pace. And I think the same with Melanie Leopold. I don't think you can afford to play both Leopold and G, because they like occupying similar spaces, and the same with G and Harder, they like occupying similar spaces. And it makes it, I think, mm-hmm. harder, not to use the pun, but it makes it more difficult for them to, um, like, you know, really find space in those areas because they're both trying to compete in them. Absolutely. And and I I, I want to, uh, I have a bone to pick with the TV commentators. I am sure, I'm, I'm sure, Rob, that her name is, last name is Harder, not Harder. Uh, and, and the commentator kept saying Harder, 
every yeah, you know it, it, was, it was it was disturbing to me um but so uh, enough about that but the, you know it, it's funny you mentioned getting more out of uh, Pernell Harder when she is over the last year in in the league in the 91st percentile of non-penalty goals yeah. uh the 93rd percentile of of um non-penalty xg in the league the 94th in shots but what i would say is that it's not like getting more is perhaps the wrong sort of phrase to use it's more like Uh utilizing her best assets better Mm -hmm. because i think chelsea managed to start doing that last year with sam kerr and obviously she then exploded and i think if they can unlock that side with Penilla harder as well along with also unlock it last year with frank kirby then that is a truly terrifying combination. Absolutely. So that, that's what I think Absolutely is terrifying. I mean, the only time I remember, the, the times I remember them really unlocking that really, really well were the first, the game against Atletico when they sort of did it on yep. the break. Right. And they, you know, could have scored three, four, five times on the break. And also that first, the second leg against Wolfsburg where they got them all in sync in that first half and just tore Wolfsburg to pieces mm-hmm. um, and just, you know, completely tore them to bits. And also, yeah, I definitely see your point. Buying definitely. in the second in the second leg as well in the second half of that, mm-hmm. and it's that level. If they can get that, you know, it's more of almost how what Chelsea can do for harder. I think is the question, mm. and what they can That's do in that regard. Because I think if they can, you know, if they can unlock harder that bit more, then I think it is like another new signing in a way. And I, I detest using that phrase. I think it's a stupid phrase, but it is. Like she's a very at the moment she's a very very good player in WSL, but what I want to see is the Vanilla Harder that was the Europe's best player, mm-hmm. and so far we've only seen very brief flashes and glimpses of that. And if Chelsea can start harnessing that on a week in week out basis, then it does become very very scary for the league. Absolutely, I, I took completely agree with that. I, I and I threw those numbers out just sort of almost in jest. That I mean, even with ha- not having her best season, she was still at a very, very, very high level. And to see to see it that even go even further into a, into a higher level if utilized uh, with all her strengths in mind, then yeah, that makes you know that's just another weapon uh, that I think everyone knows is out there, but you know hasn't been unleashed completely on a regular basis. Um, so yeah, it is kind of. Gary. So in closing, though, um, Rob, uh, in sort of wrapping things up, so what should we look for in Chelsea's match against Everton on next weekend? Uh, I think you will probably see a Chelsea, again, I like using, I don't like using the phrase, but you'll probably see the uh, blue backlash, I think. I think even okay. though Everton started yeah. the, season, the season poorly themselves, mm-hmm. I think Chelsea mm-hmm. will, especially with a full crowd at Kings Meadow, there'll be the fans back for the first time. Emma will be determined to sort of, you know, get it right. And I think you will expect to probably see, I don't know if we'll see the three, four, three again. I think you'll probably see Kirby and Kerr probably starting. Um, Mm -hmm. I think England probably missed out on her chance to sort of stake a real claim for it. So I think it's, yeah, you'll probably see a real attacking show from start to finish. I think Chelsea will be determined to sort of, you know, get some numbers on the board and it'll be really interesting to see how Everton do actually after their own first weekend, because I think, you know, they, quite frankly, were abysmal against Manchester City. As good as Manchester City were, I thought Everton were terrible. And it does raise that question that I asked, of that have they recruited too many yeah. players? I, I, and I was going to mention that, Rob, where, where it's like, I mean, you were the one, you were the one out of everybody I talked to was saying, you know what, though? Everton may have flip-flopped themselves way too much. It's, it's one of those uh, where I think, you know, 
playing them early in the season. And this is what one of the Arsenal exactly. fans yes. I follow said is that mm-hmm. once Chelsea get that 3-4-3 under, you know, you can see what they try mm-hmm. to do with a 3-4-3. Once they get that 3-4-3 in place, and if you perhaps, you know, think instead of Wrighton in England, you're putting in Kerr and sort of Kirby, suddenly that becomes even more, you know, those half chances in the fir- that perhaps Chelsea wasted in the first half, you have Kerr and Kirby there and suddenly they become full chance and you probably take them. And it becomes a lot more of a deadly proposition in the same way with Everton you kind of want to play Everton early on before yes. the signings I think have got their feet on the ground got into you know got into the swing of things and are sort of effectively up to speed yeah I, I hate to bring this up but in, in a sense because I again I don't want to overreact and, and but it's hard to not overreact a little bit with Everton's extremely poor performance that was I mean I expected them not to win I did not think they were going to get a result um, and so forth but to get to a to be battered as much as they got also the capitulation uh, that I saw the and then the the coaching staff and the managers just looking around feeling like they didn't know what to do uh, it, it all like doesn't bode well for them to me uh, are we looking, Rob, at a, another battering of, of Everton in this match because Chelsea's trying to get up the speed and Everton's just not up but the I speed? I Chelsea will want, to try, will want to win. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. again, I don't like using comparisons to the men's game, but people sort of talk about it. Like this time last year in the second weekend of the season, you just watched uh, Manchester City lose 5-2 to Leicester mm-hmm. and everyone was saying, you know, oh, Pep's been found out they then went ahead and won the league quite comfortably so i, right, I personally right. i don't like taking you know work saying anything after you see some odd results mm-hmm. on the first weekend of a season right. Um, right. and that you know has been the case across all of sort of football so i think you know you always take first day results with a bit of a pinch of salt because i think to. yeah you have to still you definitely have getting to ready and in some ways you know you have teams that have a hangover you have other teams that you know just mm-hmm. sort of start the season well but then tail off and yeah i think you know I wouldn't like to predict. I think Chelsea will win, but I wouldn't like to predict what sort of match it'll be. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It, again, you know, it's like you can't ask for a harder draw to start the season off when you're trying to kind of get some chemistry on a on a almost brand new team by playing at home in front of a crowd at Goodison against City, and then the very next weekend turn right around and go to Chelsea for their first home match of the season. I mean, you can't really ask for a harder you know, a harder, difficult uh, two games to start off. So, uh, so forth. So Rob, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Again, uh, very brilliant stuff. Great stuff. Great insights as usual. Uh, love having you on Rob. Uh, and thank you so much for being, being here today. Yeah. No problem, man. Thank you very much for having me. All right. As we wrap up for today, tomorrow, we're going to do Arsenal. We're going to get the Arsenal side of everything. Um, and there's some there's some uh, ups and downs and highs and lows with uh, with Arsenal's performance. We'll kind of break down from an Arsenal perspective um, tomorrow. Uh, and But meanwhile, take care of each other out there. Uh, rest in peace, Michael K. Williams. Uh, he's a great uh, sports fan. I uh, met him at Atlanta United game. Uh, back a couple years back, um, and he's uh, a solid was a solid character uh, and always a solid human too. Sad to see him go. Uh, he passed away yesterday in New York City. So um, R.I.P. for Michael K. Williams. But everyone out there, please take care of each other. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, take care. Smash a like, share, subscribe, 
five-star reviews on the podcast. Let's keep this thing going, all right? So for y'all, have a great Tuesday. We'll see y'all tomorrow, and take care, everybody.